We're continuing today a series uh, called Hall of Faith, and we started it last week, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun because we talked about uh, Moses and um, just kind of learned a little bit more about him and who he is. And the premise of this series really came from this idea that there are so many men and women inside the Bible that we celebrate, you know, we honor, we think about, they make movies about, and we name our kids about, um, but we don't know much about who they are and where they come from and maybe a little bit of their backstory. And so it's kind of the premise of the series. And the whole idea was if I was to sit down, if you were to sit down with one of the major Bible characters inside of uh, scripture, what would they say? You know, if they were going to give you a final word of encouragement, what would they say about their life? And that's kind of how I built the series. So last week we talked about Moses. This week we're going to talk about maybe the most famous outside of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, we're going to talk about David, and um, and uh, we're going to we're going to learn a little bit about his life. But I'm going to learn. We're, I think we're going to learn. I'm actually going to teach you something about him that most people kind of know but don't really know. And so hopefully this will be a little unique to what you are. Uh, what you've heard before, and uh, I think it's gonna be good today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here, and on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors, so glad that you're with us, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. If you are a guest, um, we're so happy you're here. We do church for you, by the way. We don't do church for the people who already come to this church. Um, they're already bought in. They're, they're here to serve you. They're here to celebrate you and to help you get connected to the God that we love. And so if you're a guest, um, this whole service is about you. Man, we're, we're hoping that you feel honored and that you feel welcomed and that you come back. We actually always invite our people, to uh, our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. And um, we, we do that because we believe God's doing something special here, but you gotta come more than one time to really, I think, appreciate it. And so please come back a few times and hopefully this can be your church. If you're watching online, do me a favor, like, comment, share, leave a review. Man, I'm so excited to, to be with you wherever you're at all over the world. Um, we have people, who, uh, honestly, hundreds and hundreds of people every weekend join us online and watch um, in the comfort of their PJs or whatever right now. And uh, But if you're in town, please, you gotta, come, you gotta come and be a part of the service. Nothing like being in the house of God. Um, it's gonna be an awesome day. We're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 inside of the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you don't know anything about the Bible, the uh, Bible's broken up into the kind of two main parts, Old Testament, New Testament. We're gonna be in the Old Testament today. It's kind of the first half of the Bible. And we're gonna be kind of towards the early part, um, middle, early middle part. And uh, there's, a, there's a book called 1 Samuel in 2 Samuel. And originally when they were manuscripts or scrolls, they were, um, they were uh, it was one big book. And the reason they split it is because it was too big. And so they said, let's make it one and let's make it two. And um, the, the prim primarily the first Samuel book is about the, um, the reign of King Saul and then the anointing of, uh, of a prophet. Samuel was a prophet and he anointed this guy that we're going to talk about today called King David. And towards the end of 1 Samuel, he gets anointed. And then 2 Samuel is a lot about his life. And um, we'll learn a little more about that. But um, it's going to be an interesting take on on the character David. The David, you know him, David and Goliath, David, King David, the David I'm sure you probably named a child after David. Um, he, that's the David, the famous David we're going to learn about today. And um, uh, we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, at this point in the story, um, there's a man named Saul. Everybody say Saul. Saul. 
Saul was um, the first king of Israel, and um, he was anointed by Samuel to be the first king of Israel, and um, the Bible says that he was good looking, and he had all the traits that any king would want to have. He had a strong jaw. He had muscles. The Bible literally said he was good looking, and um, I mean, he was a good, that he, for a long time, because he was anointed by the, uh, the God of Israel, we, we see him having the, the, uh, the, the presence of the Lord with him for a long period of time, but he winds up not obeying God, kind of turns away from God, rejects his commands, and then ultimately rejects God completely. And then Samuel finds out about it from God. Basically, the Bible says that God starts to turn as Samuel, as as King Saul's heart turns away from God, God's heart turns away from from Saul. And Samuel now has to find a new king. And so right before this, Samuel goes to this kind of shepherd area of of the of the parts of town and. He finds this guy named Jesse who has a bunch of sons and he does like the, you know, like America's Got Talent kind of thing, you know, like preacher, idol, hey, put them all up here and let me pick one. How many of y'all would like that? Like you and your brothers. Anybody have brothers or sisters in here? Anybody have a brother or sister? How you like to be stacked against your brother and sister and they got to pick you to be the next king and then what if they pick your brother and now you got to be nice to this guy? That would be terrible. So they have this moment and um, and he, Jesse shows all his kids that he, he thought would be the king but he keeps David out. And Samuel says, well, there's gotta be another one because none of these kids are it. And he says, well, I got one more. He's the runt of the family. Nobody likes him. In fact, he don't, we don't even like him. Um, I, I, I don't think it's gonna be him. We're pretty sure it's not. He's fact, he's watching the, the sheep in the back 40 of the property. We don't even let him in the front 40. Uh, are you sure? And he said, go get him. And he's, David is seen by Samuel. And the Bible says that that God anoints David to be king. Funny enough, David doesn't actually be a king right then. If you look at the Bible, for those of you who are waiting for the overnight success that don't happen, um, even if you are anointed by the Lord, oftentimes it's the preparation on the backside. It's the preparation in the fields. It's a preparation in the pasture that prepares you for the palace. That ain't even in my notes. That's free. That is worth the price of admission today. So just for you to come in, just know like if God did a work in your life, if he called you to do something, he, he gonna do it. He gonna be faithful. Just be faithful where you're at. And you might think you're looking at the backside of an ox. You're a farmer right now. And they ain't nothing good that see, come on, how many y'all know that, right? But but be 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 ready. God's gonna God's gonna promote you. And then the Bible says that that the Spirit of the Lord leaves Saul as David is being prepared to be anointed king. And we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear and some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. By the way, it's not from God. The better translation is God allowed the spirit to happen in his life. Some people ask me questions about that. Like, why would God send? No, no, no. Like, to be clear, God doesn't do evil things. God allowed it. Remember, anything that happens in this world, God allows it. He's king. We're not. He said, let, let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit comes and troubles you. He'll play soothing music. It'll be like top 40 smooth jazz. It'll be amazing. And you'll soon be well again. Saul says, all right, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, I said, one of those Jesse's sons, we know him, the guy that no one likes, the one that smells like sheep, the one that knows how to throw rocks. I'm pretty sure he knows how to play an instrument. He says he can play the harp. And not only that, he's brave. He's a man of war and he has good judgment. And he's good looking. 
And maybe the most important thing, the Lord's with him. And so Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, hey, send me that son of yours, David, the shepherd boy. And Jesse responded by sending David and Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. And Saul loved David very much. And David became his armor bearer. And then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, please let David remain in my service for I'm very pleased with him. This is important. It says in verse 23, whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. And then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. If you're taking notes today, uh, the title of my message is David the Worshipper. David the Worshipper. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I just thank you, God, that today you're doing something special in this church. And, and, and every, every time, God, we come together, we want to be very clear about our next steps with you. And I pray that more than anything, people wouldn't receive maybe a great message that you know, wows them in any way, but that God, you would give us a clear path, a clear step that each one of us could take as we learn about your kingdom, as we learn about your word. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. The, the, um, the, the whole crux of my message, I'm going to give you the thesis of my message today, right at the beginning, just so you kind of know where I'm going with, okay? I'm going to kind of give you exactly where I'm going. The whole point of today's message is that I want to inspire you. We want to inspire you to take a step today in your worship of the Lord. David, more than anybody in the Bible, was maybe highlighted more than anyone that he loved to worship. Worship is an important aspect of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. If you just started serving the Lord, maybe you've given your life recently to God, or it's been in here, or maybe it was at a youth camp, or what, what, maybe you gave your life to Jesus at a Starbucks, whatever it is, and you just started your message and your, your journey with the Lord, you need to know this, that you have to understand the value and the concept of worship. It's not just music at church. And if you don't understand the value of worship, you're missing a big element of being a Christian. It's not just listening to like, you know, the, the, the top 40 on the Christian radio programming. It's not just you going to Spotify and creating a playlist that you play when you're going to church. You're like the only time you listen to worship music is on Sunday morning when you're getting everybody ready because you don't want to lose your mind because your kid's not listening and your husband's not dressed and your curling iron just went out. Come on. Like it's not just for those moments. You and I, if you're going to be a healthy Christian, you have to know the value of worship. It's a big deal in the Christian faith. Now, I personally, my wife and I, we love worship. I used to be, most people don't know this, I used to be a worship leader. I led worship for two years at a church. It lasted two years longer than it probably should have, but I did it. Because I love it. My wife can sing really, really well. All of our kids love music. They sing and they dance. My sons are listening and playing piano. Um, they, 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 they can't get enough of art and music. Our family is kind of built. We have the personality and I would say part spiritual you know, inkling to actually be a part of worship. We love the idea of musical worship inside of the church, singing to God, opening up our voices, lifting our hands, stepping into the presence of worship so that, so that God can step in to the presence of us. But when I started leading worship, it was the most nerve-wracking thing I could have ever thought of. Um, I was in a kind of a smaller church, way smaller than, than, than ours. We were in maybe about a 100-member church or 200-member church. And 
And we were, um, the pastor had just lost his worship pastor and I was a pastor on staff at this church and he was walking around going like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. We need to find somebody to lead worship. And guess what? We never found anybody to lead worship. And when you're on staff at a really tiny church, you name nobody to step up. You the one who steps up. And so I got the guitar. He said, you're guess what you're doing today? You're going to be leading some worship. And so I put my guitar on, listened to some Chris Tomlin songs and started playing. It was great. And uh, well, at least I thought it was great. And most people probably didn't think it was that great, but I led worship. But I remember the night before I was going to lead worship, I had two nightmares, two, not one, two. One is pretty bad. Two lets you know you're probably not called to do it. And so two nightmares. First nightmare, I get up in my nightmare. I wake up and I get ready for church. I'm excited to lead worship. I had confidence in my spirit and in my soul and my belly. I'm like, I'm going to go out there and we're going to lead God's people out in the dream. I walk up on the platform and I start playing a song. We get to the end of the song and y'all know we just played worship at the end of a song to do it properly at the worship. You do a little crescendo. You do a little, you, they call it, they trash it out. You hit those, you see those symbols right there. You, you hit the symbols and you go, come on y'all. And you get the people to kind of open up their mouths and clap their hands. And you start, y'all want to do do it. We'll do it right now. Just come on. Just start clapping your hand. Come on. Just make some noise. Come on. You just kind of come on, God. You're going to give it. And so I'm doing the worship pastor thing. Problem is, is that I can't give a good word and sing at the same time. My brain doesn't work that way. And so in the dream, in the nightmare, I get up first time. I'm leading worship. I get up. Everybody's clapping their hands. God, you can do it. And I'm like, come on, everybody. You can do it. God's good. Make some. And then I literally said this in the dream. Now, I don't cuss, but I said it in the dream. I said, make some bleeping noise <laughs> to the church. And I remember in the dream, in the nightmare, I said it. My face turned white. Everybody stopped doing that. Pastor came up, took the guitar off and said, get off the platform. <laughs> nightmare one. Nightmare two. I walk up and um, I started, uh, like, I, when, I, when I was leading worship, I got up. And this actually happened. This manifested into real life. I walked up on the platform and I did the fancy thing that worship, I'm just giving you insight to worship leaders. Josh, you know, there's just like a way, right? There's just like a way we do things. And so you get up and you're like, okay, God. And I was like, Lord, you can. And I stood there for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you're looking at someone to lead you and the guy goes, come on, God, you can. You can, and everybody in the crowd started going, like leaning in, like, he can what, Aaron? And I never said anything. I got too scared and I ran off this. That was my nightmare. The next day, I did that. It literally manifested. And my, my pastor was in the back. He was in the, literally in the back. I'll never forget. He was in the back. And he, I did this. I was like, Lord, you can. And then what I wind up saying was, Lord, play with our hearts. That's not biblical. There's nothing cool about that. And in the back, he goes, I literally saw him go like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, just, just finish the, the, the thing. I, I, I say all that to say, like, worship sometimes can be confusing. In church, sometimes it could be hard. I mean, how many of y'all went to the church? Sometimes worship is different, right? When you're looking at it, you can go to some churches and, and you would think you're at a funeral, <laughs> right? You don't do nothing. There's no instruments. You stand there, you sit, you stand, you sit, you stand, 
you sit some more, you stand, you got your calisthenics in for the day, you're good, you don't need to go to the gym, you stand and you sit. Some churches you go to, and you know, the church I grew up in, it was a little like, you didn't know what was going to happen, it was a reality TV show. You showed up, people be running, there's somebody screaming in the back, somebody's on the ground, somebody's running, there's flag waving, there's somebody, there's always a lady in the front row with a tambourine that should not have the tambourine. Y'all, come on, has anybody been at this church? Somebody, when we planted the church, somebody's like, I got a tambourine, pastor, I'll bring it. I said, don't you bring that. No, uh I'll snatch you out of here. We don't do that. We don't even believe in the tambourine. I lost two people. On there. They'd be like, well, that's it. I'm gone. This is not my church. But it's a, it's a big deal in the Christian faith, and, and David was famous for this. David was famous for his worship. I'll give you some facts about David. He lived for about 70 years, and um, about... 30 of those years, um, he, he lived his life. Remember, I told you he was not king right away. He was anointed king at a young age, but he did not become king until he was about 30 years old, and he reigned as Israel's second known king for about 40 years. And uh, what's interesting about the Bible is that it depicts, if you, it depends on what you read, what book you read about David in the Bible. Because if you read about David in, um, in Chronicles, like, David is the most amazing person and never did anything wrong. Like, the Bible literally was written that way. The, the, the chronicler, if you would say, the author of Chronicles, wrote it in a way to be almost prophetic, to say, like, this David, because David in so many ways um, is, like, is, is a type and shadow of Jesus coming forth. It's the, it's the idea of what David could have been is what really what Chronicles depicts David as. But if you want to know the real truth about David, go read Samuel, because David and Samuel is a lot more flawed. David's more like you and me. Like, but we think of David as the Chronicles David. We think of David, the David that did nothing wrong because in Chronicles, David is, nothing is written about David that does anything wrong. But in Samuel, everything David does wrong is in Samuel. And it, like, you look at 2 Samuel, you're like, David, I'm surprised we would name anybody after you. Why would we use that? Like, we think David is David just for the David and Goliath story. But like, man, he, he had a lot of issues. Um... So in some ways, he's depicted as the villain. In some ways, he's depicted as the hero. David wrote about 70. People think that he wrote all the psalms. He, he didn't write all the psalms. He wrote about, seven, scholars believe, 70, around 73 of the psalms David wrote. But most of them had to do with this idea of worship because David was a worshiper. Now, when I say worship, I kind of define it because some of us, we think it's one thing when it's really not. When I say worship, I'm going to give you a definition. This is what I really mean by that. I mean, when I say worship, worship is the act of valuing God above all things. It's the act of valuing God above all things. I like what Pastor Miles Monroe said. He said, worship is broken into two parts. It's worth Ship. It's your idea of this, of understanding the worthiness of the God that you and I actually get to worship. It's describing worth at the highest level. Praise is what you and I get to do. Worship is what God receives. And so for you and I, you might be new to this idea of worship. And so when you come into church, you're like, you think like the music is the like opening act. Y'all ever go to see a show? 
Anybody go to like a comedy show? Y'all go to like a comedy? Anybody been to a comedy show or a concert recently? Have you noticed the main act doesn't ever go on first, right? They, they always have the setup. They always have the people that kind of get, get the crowd going. I, I knew a, a professional comedian and he said, you know, you, what, the reason you have a couple of new comics come up is because they come up and get all the, the, the people ready. They kind of get them warmed up. Opening bands get people warmed up. And so when we come into church, church kind of feels like this is an event. We're showing up to something. We stand in a crowd. There's people on a platform. So it looks similar, but it's nothing like that. And so because of that, we come in with this expectation that worship is the opening act. And I don't know about you, but when I go see a show, if I'm going to go see, I don't know, Justin Bieber, I'm not going to go see his opening acts. And so oftentimes, if I'm late, that's fine with me because I didn't really want to see the local guy who didn't know what he was doing. And we show up to church a little like that. If we're, if, if we're honest, we show up to the church and we're like, well, it's just worship. It's just music. I could hear that online. Honestly, they play, you know, the Elevation songs. I can hear that online. I mean, they were playing that from the other, I, I mean, I can hear that. Honestly, I have all the Spotify, got every song they play on my playlist. I really honestly don't need to be there. And when you do that, you miss out because church was never designed like that. Right. Yeah. Everything we do on the weekend service is intentional. So if you miss it, see, nobody amens this part of the sermons because you know, half of y'all didn't come in until 20 minutes after. That's okay, just look at someone else and be like, see, I told you, you need to be here. You need to be. Awkward pause. <laughs> but it's, it's, it could not be your, let me give you an out. Maybe it's not your fault, you didn't know. Because some pastors don't teach it. And I will say this, some pastors and churches actually think like that. They think, well, since I'm the one speaking, the only thing that matters is me. Can I just tell you that's not how I think? That's not how our church is. Because if you come for me as the main act, you're going to be disappointed eventually. I'm not that good. That there's a, there's a, there's a, a team approach, a holistic approach to how you should look at Sunday morning. And worship is a big deal. And it comes in all kinds of ways. There's a, a few forms of worship. The one we're probably maybe most familiar with is musical. You know, and that could be, you know, the idea of you coming into service and singing a song to God, about God, and reminding you of who he is. Worship can be an offering. It could be financial. It could be, you know, a gift. It could be something that you did for someone. You're, 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 you're giving something that you have in your hand away. That's a form of worship, the Bible says. Could be uh, an act of service. That's a worship unto God. You do something in the name of God for someone else. When we go and we do serve day, when we go and we serve a, our local communities, when you go and you help someone in the name of the Lord Jesus, you're, at, you're offering it to them on behalf of the Lord. God, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my hands. God, I'm worshiping you through serving your people because I can never love you as much more than I love those that are around me. That's what God believes. You know that, right? And so the worship could be in all kinds of forms, but it ultimately becomes two main parts. And this is important because I'm trying to help you form your theology when it comes to worship. Worship has to be two main parts. It's, it's both internal and external. You have internal worship, which means I've now recognized that I'm submitted and I understand God's ultimate authority in my life. 
Because if you don't think like that, no reason for you to come in and worship a God you don't think is God. So it starts with the recognition that you are not God in your life. And for some of us, that's real hard. Can we be honest? Because you're used to being in charge. When you left mom and dad's house, you were like, now I'm in charge. How many of y'all remember that one day when you drove away from mom and dad and you realized you can do anything you want? The other day I was with a friend and he looked at me and he goes, you know what I just dawned on me? He's like 42 years old. He goes, you know what just dawned on me? I could eat dessert for dinner. I could literally go eat cookies right now for dinner and no one's going to say anything because mom's not there anymore. He's 42. And he just realized he could do anything he wants because he's, he's in charge. But the regular Bible-based Christian follower of Jesus, you know what they do on a regular basis? They do things to remind them they're not in charge. I'm not in charge of me. I'm not God in my life. Because everything in culture is going to tell you, you're God, do what you want. How do you feel? Follow your feelings. Whatever you think, however you identify, however you want to say it, however you think you should be. And I don't know about you, but the last time you leave anything in human hands, things don't really tend to work out great. I mean, the whole point of a democracy is that the idea that kings as humans don't work. So why would we think about that spiritually in our lives? And so if you don't have a king in your life that's God, it typically is you. And I'm scared for you because you're eventually going to do something dumb. Because you think everything you do is right. Isn't it true? Come on. Come on. Let's be true. Come on, let's be right. Isn't it true that you did something one day recently, probably yesterday, probably this morning on the way to church, you made a decision like, I know I should do this. This is right. The moment you do it, you come out of it and you go, that was the dumbest thing ever. Anybody recently do that but me? That's because you're not actually God. You're God to you, but you're not actually God, the one who understands all life, the one who created all life, the one who is, who was, who is, and is to come. Like, there is a real God. And, but he's got to be God to you enough so that you actually worship him. I like to say it like this. I serve at the pleasure of the king. If you're a Christian, by definition, we have a king. And he's, he's worthy to be praised. But then worship takes our internal spot and then moves it to an external form of worship, the expression of worship that is based on the authority that we understand, based on the submission that we get in our own hearts. So it's both internal and it's external. You need both, but the problem is, is that you can do one or the other. And here's the weird formula that tends to happen sometimes in churches. Some people, depending on how you grew up, some people are internal minus the external, and what that really gives you is incomplete worship. It's not true and it's not real and it's not full because what you say in your heart and it's a lie from the enemy. Well, I know who I am. Well, I know that I worship God. Well, I worship God in my heart. Like I say it to him privately, like when we're quiet together and I worship him and I'm not debating whether or not you do that. But I am saying that when you do that, it makes it incomplete because just worship like honor. Like honor is one of our values here at Rise. It's one of our six values. Honor is never silent and never unexpressed. Because if you were married to someone, 
and you treated them terribly or you didn't honor them in any way that came out of your hands, but all you said to them was, well, I, I honor you in my heart. They would look at you and say, well, thank you, but I don't feel that because I only see what comes out of your hands, not what's in your heart. Last time I checked, I'm not a cardiologist. I don't have an x-ray machine. I don't see your heart. I see your hands because it needs to be expressed. Worship needs to be expressed. Conversely, if it's only external minus the internal, it's vain worship. The Bible actually talks about that. Jesus actually talks about it. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. It's vain worship when all you do is you figured out the religious rigmarole to come in at a certain time, to clap your hands on the certain beat, and to sing songs, but not actually believe it in your heart. It's vain. So you got two ditches. And ultimately... What we look for is what we call true worship, which is both internal and external, that John chapter 4, where Jesus talks about. He said, the hour is coming now, and it's here when true worshipers, true, everybody say true, like the actual worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such worship to him, people to worship him. God is spirit, so those who worship him must be worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth is both heart and hands. I'm saying you need both. It's not that you want one or the other. You need both. So you got to recognize God's the authority, and then you got to express that God's the authority to other people and outside. It's got to be external. you got to be able to say something. you got to be able to do something. And I'm not saying you got to be like the most amazing worshiper ever, but you got to do something. Because if you really believe God was that amazing, I don't know about you, I think my wife's like amazing. But if I never told her, if I never bought her something nice, if I never held her hand, come on, y'all hear what I'm saying? You would, I would probably be hard to convince you that I really think she's that amazing because it's got to come out of my, my heart and eventually manifest in my hands. And if I think David was sitting with us, I would say, here's what I think he would say to us. This is just what I think. I think David would eventually say, worship is life. Worship is life. It's not music. It's not the first 20 minutes at church. It's not a playlist, Spotify thing. It's... It's life, and that, that, that we need to have a lifestyle of worship. And here's why I'm going to give you three quick benefits for worship. Number one, three quick benefits. It gives you a connection with God. Psalm chapter 73 says, but as for me, it is good, for, it is good to be near to God. This is David speaking. It's good to be near to God. Everybody say near. Yeah. Near to God. I made the sovereign Lord my refuge. How do you feel near to a God you can't see? Anybody ever asked that before? You ever feel God, far from God? You feel like you're disconnected from the Lord? Worship is your answer. Worship actually brings this kind of connection to God that you can't get with anything else. It's a, um, what's the ultimate way to be connected to somebody? It's intimacy, right? Intimacy, I heard someone say intimacy is into me see. It's to be able to see what's actually inside of me and who I am. I'm close enough to you to be intimate to you. And worship can build this intimacy with God. And intimacy is a way to get in. It's, it's, I, I, it, it does something to actually get you connected. Worship has a way of getting you connected to God in ways that just doesn't happen in any other way. I was counseling with a marriage one time, and, and the lady said, this. She said, I'm lacking intimacy with my husband. Like I don't feel connected to him. And, um, and, and he said, well, you should just know in the counseling. That's why I don't do counseling anymore. Cause I just want to slap him. And I was like, you know, it's like, I'm not a good counselor. Honestly, I'm, I'm like to be a good counselor. I think you got to listen and then like empathize a little bit, you know, 
Like, I don't listen. I'm like, that's dumb. Don't do that. Do this instead. I'm better at telling you. If you, really, if you want to change, I'll help you. I, I don't, anyway. Um, but, but I said, your heart and your hands have got to connect here. If you want intimacy, you, it's got to, it's, if you want connection with them, you've got to learn to, to get it out. You've got to learn to get it out. And sometimes our disconnected feelings with God have to do with our lack of worship to him. And so if, maybe if you're in here right now and you feel like you're far from the Lord, you don't feel connected to him, I, I would invest, this is just me, I would invest, and invest I mean my time, and, and segment a part of your day in your life with, with him. And just posture your heart with worship. And maybe that's putting songs on or, or maybe that's just you writing down. I know some people who just write down what they love about the Lord, what God's done for them. I know some people who, who meditate on the scriptures. And, um, you know, by, by the way, meditation is not an Eastern thing. It's a, that, it's a Jesus thing, by the way. You should be meditating on the scriptures and thinking about I'm talking about like posturing and, and God, I'm worshiping you. God, I praise you for what you've done for me. I'm recognizing and just being able to actually worship him. I think it brings such a connection. Um, it's both knowing and acknowledging the one that we desire to have connection with. So it's not just knowing about God. I'm really trying to give us a step to take to actually get connected to the God you know. Yeah. And, and for us here at Rise, worship on the Sunday morning experience when you come in, please hear me. It's such a valuable moment for you to get connected to the Lord that allows for this moment to be even more effective to you. It's you reaching out to God, getting connected to him. and as It's almost like getting connected to the food source before the food's delivered. Come on, y'all. And really being able to have that moment with him is important. Number two is this, it changes my perspective. We're talking about the power of worship. Worship can change your perspective. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? I don't know about you, but the, the one thing that happens when I look at a place, I tend to go to that. Perspective is where my eyes look, period. I grew up uh, in New Mexico and uh, when I was a teenager, I got my license at 14 and eight months, like my full license. I'm training my children right now to, to drive. They have their learner's permit. And when they get behind the wheel and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, I am so scared. Has anybody done this recently? Like, I mean, like, I think I'm, I'm writing to my congressman right now. Whose idea was this? Like, why would you ever let a 15-year-old be behind the wheel of a car? It makes no sense. Give it to them when they're 25. Maybe then. But I got mine when I was 14 and eight months. Full license, not provisional, nothing. Just full on, you can drive, you're an idiot, here's a car. And so I get this little Honda CRX, and my first car was a 1986 Honda CRX. I'm gonna show you this, uh, a picture of this car. Do we have the picture? Where's, is it, do we have it or no? We don't have the picture. We'll have the picture for the next. Watch it online. Anyway, it's a really cool car. It was a short hatchback car that I have. It's a 1986 hatchback car. It was kind of, I wish I was a car, kind of a car. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it, it had two doors. It was really, really small. It looks like one of those really smart car, tiny smart cars now. Y'all see those like battery operated smart cars that drive, drive I'm not talking about like Tesla. I'm talking about like the half a car looks like a, you know, like a clown car. And um, if you have that car, I'm sorry. But anyway, um, <laughs> I remember driving and my instructor told me when I was driving that car, he was sitting in it and he said, be careful where you, you look because where you look, you tend to go. And I wound up hitting a curb one time because I was noticing, I was staring at the curb. Anybody ever hit the curb because you were looking at the curb other than me? <laughs> and I, I was staring at the curb and I hit the curb and, and it 
man, right when I did that, I remember what my professor or the instructor had said. He said, where you look is to where you go. And just so you know, anytime something bad happens in your life, the plan of the enemy, this is his whole tactic, is for you to stare at you. Stare at your insecurities. Stare at your flaws. Stare at your sins. Stare at your mistakes. Stare at your, ins- like your insufficiencies in life. Stare at where you missed it. Stare at where you, where you hurt someone. Stare where you missed the mark. Stare. It's like he wants you to look completely down at you. Everybody do this for me. Don't look at me. Look at you. Look down at your belly button. Just look at it. Just stare at it. Here's what's funny about that. You can't see me, right? Because you're looking at you. You can't look at two things at once. And if you're stuck in your moment, always looking at you, you'll never look at God. And David had this idea. I got to change my perspective. And the only thing that can help me change my perspective is to recognize internally that God, you're my God. And then get it out of my life and get it into my hands to where I look up at to who you are. The reason we lift our hands and the reason we lift our eyes, the reason we lift our voice is because you can't do that and stare at you. And so God and David knew that, man, if I'm going to win this battle, I got to win it looking at at God. I got to have some faith. I got to have some gratitude. I got to have some countenance. And all that stuff is built with worship. Third one is this, and I'm done. It's a weapon against the enemy. It's a weapon against the enemy. Worship can be a powerful weapon in the hands against the enemy. Psalm 149 says, may the praise of our God, of God be on the mouse and a double-edged sword in their hands. Satan is called the accuser in scripture and he loves to tell you lies. And you and I have a weapon that can combat his lies. It's called worship. And in the moment when he's telling you the lie, your worship has got to be louder than the lie. David used this for Saul. We just read about it. There's a great story in the New Testament. You should go read it about Paul and Silas. They worshiped when they were in prison. How many of y'all would do that? Y'all don't even worship outside of prison. They're in prison. It's over. It's done. In chains. They start singing, worshiping God. Things start moving. Supernatural things start moving. Chains start breaking. Prison doors start opening. So whatever you're in right now, and if you're locked up, I'm telling you, worship is your weapon. Worship is your weapon. 